Omnitalk Fast Five, brought to you in partnership with the AM Consumer and Retail Group, Firework, Trigo, Sezzle, and Silk. Ranked in the top 10% of all podcasts globally, the Omnitalk Fast Five podcast is a podcast that we hope makes you feel a little smarter, but most importantly, a little happier each week, too. Today is January 19th, 2023. I'm your host, Ann Mazenga. And I'm Chris Walton. And we are here once again to discuss all of the top headlines making waves in the world of Omnichannel Retailing. No place I'd rather be in. No place I'd rather be Uh, than here with you after NRF. After NRF. Talking about the headlines, making waves in the world of Omnichannel Retailing. Chris, it's not just you and I I know. I know we've spent so much time together in the last five days, so I think this is probably a welcomed (laughs) entry into the Omnitalk world. But joining us today and back for their regular monthly appearance are friends at the A&M Consumer and Retail Group. Jonathan Sharp and Michael Prendergast. Welcome back, Jonathan and Michael. We're so glad to have you. Um, I want to go right to it. Michael, will you kick off and tell the audience who you are and what you do at AM? Sure, and thank you. Um, great to be back. I'm Michael Prendergast. Uh, I'm a managing director in the consumer and retail practice at AM. Um, I've been in the fashion and retail space for over 25 years, and um, that's my background. Excellent. Thanks for being here, Michael. Um, Jonathan, your turn. Tell us about you and what you do at AM. Hello. Nice to see you both again. Uh, also, Managing Director at uh, AM, uh, maybe even more than 25 years in uh, retail. Wow. Um, that time in uh, grocery. I tend to do a lot of work in the commercial space and I also lead on consumer insights at uh, AM. Well, we are really excited to have both of you today. Yeah, yeah. I was loving Jonathan's on the show too. Jonathan, what's what number show is this for you? It's got to be like five, six, I seven. Think it might be. It might be five. Five. Do wow. I get a card in the mail at ten or something? Uh, you, you might. You might. You get a. You get a curly whirly. Is what you oh, get. Yes, I remember that discussion. That we will import. We will right. import right. from the UK and then and, send and back ship it to back. you. Yes. which is typical of how retailers are operating right now, actually, <laughs> too. So. All right, well, let's get into it. Today's Fast Five headlines are brought to you with the help and support of our partner, ShopTalk. ShopTalk continues to expand their lineup of keynote speakers announcing Foot Locker CEO Mary Dillon this week. She's joining an incredible list, including Judith McKenna, Walmart's international president and CEO, the CEOs of Chewy, Pinterest, Levi's, Ulta Beauty, Tapestry, who are the owners of Coach, Kate Spade, and Stuart Weitzman, and Anne. You're hearing it first, yes. well, OmniTalk fans. You're hearing it first on OmniTalk. There's also a big senior executive for Google. I actually went on to check out who it is. It's pretty big. Ooh. You can see who it is at shoptalk.com slash US slash OmniTalk. That's shoptalk.com slash US slash OmniTalk. And remember to make sure you're registered by March 3rd. Yes. See you there and come and say hello. We want to see you. All right. In today's Fast Five, we've got news on Starbucks going national with DoorDash. Rent the Runway building its own storefront on Amazon. Wakefern and Trigo opening their first checkout-free store in the United States. Portillo's making its drive-throughs cashless to improve employee safety. We're going to have fun talking about that one. But we begin today with news out of Walmart. And let's do it. All right. Headline number one, Chris. That is right. Walmart and Salesforce are teaming up. According to CNBC, Walmart announced a deal with Salesforce last week to help it ramp up the 
sales of Go Local Delivery Service, which drops off purchases at customers' doors, and Store Assist, which helps employees more quickly and accurately pick and pack orders for curbside pickup and delivery. Starting this spring, the services will be offered through Salesforce and listed in its app store for businesses. Jonathan, we're going to go to you first, my friend, five-timer. What do you think about this move from Walmart? Do you think it's significant news or just more PR gloss keeping up with the Amazon race kind of talk? Well, I think it. I think both things might be true, right? Which Ooh. is, I'm sure there's Ooh. a bit of PR gloss. Well, I think there's a bit of PR gloss to it. I'm sure, perhaps more on the part of Salesforce than on the part of Walmart. But I do think the Amazon race and the way in which Walmart is tackling that is quite a big story in retail. I think a little bit of a big sleeper story, which we may get to the end of 23, 24, and look back and say. Oh, actually, did did we see that coming? Did we right. see a legacy retailer who five years ago people said were was kind of looking at its deathbed because of the emergence of Amazon? Did we actually see how successfully it was fighting back? Right. And, you know, they've put so many pillars in place in the last two years to chisel away at the Amazon advantage, to chisel away at the Prime advantage amongst, particularly amongst those who hadn't already subscribed to Prime. Mm -hmm. And I think the thing that I found interesting here is, I mean, when I read it, this was a bit of kind of Amazon Web Services meets Dunhumby kind of thing Mm -hmm. going on. We shouldn't Mm -hmm. forget what a margin engine Amazon Web Services has been for Amazon. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I thought was, this is kind of the new version of general merchandise. General merchandise used to be the margin enhancer that allows you to be price competitive in grocery. This is the mm. new technology version of general oh, merchandise. It's a margin pool that allows them to then be competitive uh, in the sort of the grocery and the the, the product side of things. So mm. the whole kind of growing your margin potential out of services and technology, I think is very smart. One other thing I'd say is it's also in a sweet spot, particularly in that sort of digital store ops, smart picking, Mm -hmm. deployment of labor. It's an area where retailers, particularly regional grocers, regional retailers who want to get into digital and delivery really, really struggle. And it's also a space that Amazon doesn't really have a product offering. So it's quite neat. Right, right. Yeah, it's interesting. That mix component is very interesting. The merchandising mix, the new angle of the mix is really interesting, Jonathan. I love that. Michael, what are your thoughts here? Anything you'd add? Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more with what Jonathan outlined. And I think it's a terrific move for Walmart and building on the thought that everyone has counted Walmart out with the advent of Amazon. Mm -hmm. I think that they've been quietly behind the scenes building a growth and progressive story that in the long run will will definitely benefit them as a corporation. You know, they're massive and they they move sometimes not as a massive entity. This this is a very progressive, forward-looking move by them. And and I love it. I think the other interesting thing is, and this is a little bit diabolical, but they are now going to be providing services to retailers definitely in the U.S., maybe globally. Right. So it That's becomes sort of point. a Trojan horse where they get inside the building where there are retailers that may not be doing such a great job. They now have Walmart technology as their some of their pillars 
what does that future look like? Does that make right. a transaction or an acquisition easier for Walmart to do because of the partnerships that they're creating? So I, I think it's terrific across the board. And I definitely think Walmart is um, an entity uh, to pay close attention to and not count out. Right. Yeah. Same thing that Amazon's been gathering from so many retailers for years. So it makes sense. But yeah. Chris, I know you've got some thoughts on this too. Like yeah. I'm curious if we're all going to resolutely agree on this one. I mean, I, I actually love this a lot. We had the chance to interview John Furner at NRF this week. We were yes. his first interview he and Matthew Shea did uh, from the conference. And right. it was it was awesome because there were a couple of points I took away from it. One was he said, I'm paraphrasing him here. He said it differently. And you might remember how I said it, Anne, but he said, you're only as faithful as your options, mm -hmm. which means they're hungry. They know they're going to fight like hell to keep what they've got. And the loyalty of their customers is really front and center for them, which I extrapolated to also being the big, my big takeaway from the show. What I extrapolated from was this is the show me the money year. I'm going to keep saying that. It's yeah. the show me the money year on tech investment. And so I like this move for another reason too, because when you take your own tech and you try to put it in the marketplace, mm -hmm. you are eating what you cook in terms of your ability to get scale and to get value out of your own tech. And so I think that is a really smart move. The question I have is why aren't we seeing more retailers do this? Like mm -hmm. if you're a top 10 retailer, I don't know why you're not taking this approach. We've talked to Target, we've asked them, they said it's not even on their roadmap when right. I've had those discussions with them. And that baffles my mind. Right. I think Jonathan mentioned Kroger, like mm -hmm. they've done a great job of this through a number of years. There's, if you're that big, you should be doing this because it's going to make your own tech that much better. Right. I agree. I mean, I think this was this was something that was part of the consistent messaging that I felt like was coming out of NRF, mm -hmm. whether it's, you know, big technology companies like SAP, Oracle, all these companies are and Salesforce included are selling this idea of like, how can we bring more things online so that it's simpler for the retailers that are using our platform to just plug and play these things. And so I think that that that's a key theme we're going to see is, you know, how many of these tech companies can bring some of this technology from startup size, like we heard at SAP with their their small team that's working with startups to bring them into the SAP ecosystems to solve the problems that retailers have. How can how much of that can they bring in? and have one unified system that's helping support all of these retailers with one platform. All right, Chris, let's go to headline Keep number moving. two. Yeah. All right, let's do it. Headline number two, Starbucks plans to offer delivery via DoorDash nationwide by March of 2023. According to Chain Store Age, on Wednesday, January 17th, which was yesterday, Yes. the coffee giant began offering online delivery via DoorDash in Actually, Wednesday was the 18th, so that, that article was incorrect, and uh -oh. Yeah, so I apologize for that, OmniTalk fans. The coffee giant, regardless, began offering online delivery this week via DoorDash in Northern California, Texas, Georgia, Florida, and other select markets, and plans to expand the service to additional markets over the coming months. In the U.S., customers will be able to have access to Starbucks delivery via DoorDash on iOS and Android devices in addition to the DoorDash website. This is important. The monthly DoorDash Dash Pass membership program, say that 10 times fast, also means Starbucks customers pay $0 in delivery fees when ordering through DoorDash. My, Michael, my question for you is this. Is the Dash Pass smartly becoming DoorDash's own very formidable version of Amazon Prime? What are we looking at here? I think the Dash Pass is interesting, and yes, it can absolutely lead down that road. Ooh, cool. Um, and I like it a lot. The thing I don't like, and I'm a little bit salty about this based on personal experience, is it's about time. Like, how come Starbucks has not been on DoorDash and why are they not more complete on Uber Eats? Wow. And full disclosure, though, it's based on 
doing projects in places like the Midwest and not being able to get effective Starbucks delivery at 5.30 p.m. <laughs> when you have to work till 11 p.m. at night. Yeah. But, you know, this this to me feels like uh, for Starbucks, them catching up to the future that's already existed for a few years. However, I do like the advances that DoorDash is making with their, with their um, pass. And I actually think DoorDash and Uber Eats need to have sort of a second and third round of innovations, both from a user interface standpoint and a delivery quality standpoint. I, I don't think their delivery qualities are fantastic. And uh, at this point in the game, they've they've captured such a large share of the markets. They, they should be fantastic across the board. Yeah, interesting. Uh, Anne, let's go to you next. What do you think here? So I... I love this. You do. I think I it's, figured you would. Uh, it's so brilliant. I was joking with Ships Rena Hurst, uh, like uh, shipped. When are you going to bring? You're doing curbside pickup at Starbucks. Like when are you going to start bringing that out right, through shipped at Target? Shipped, right? at Target. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I'm going to bring up one other thing. So at NRF, Chris, Target's head of food and beverage, Rick Gomez, said in in one of his sessions that the number two item mm -hmm. that is ordered from the Target and Starbucks pickup partnership that they just mm -hmm. did. Are cake pops. Oh, 100%. Doesn't surprise me at all. Do, it doesn't surprise me, but this is what it changed for me and wh what I think is important about, because yeah. I think I think Starbucks is really the one here who I'm focused on, mm -hmm. not so much DoorDash. Mm -hmm. And that is that Starbucks has found an opportunity through curbside pickup and now through curbside pickup with Target and now through DoorDash to create a new type of shopping experience for a parent. Mm -hmm. Now you are giving me an experience, a reason to choose Target, to mm -hmm. choose DoorDash, because it's not just about me getting my coffee when I'm picking it up as a parent. Now it's about we're having my kid and I are having an experience together. We get excited about going mm -hmm. to Target together to yep. pick up that order because now it's this this surprise and delight moment that we get to have together, which is one of the reasons that you choose to go to a shopping mm -hmm. destination or choose to use a shopping app. And I think that that's another thing here that as Starbucks continues to perfect delivery, little things like making sure that, you know, you have the stickers covering the seal so that the coffee's hot right. when it arrives, that there's, you know, new types of like delivery carriers like we saw with Starbucks curbside pickup. I think as Starbucks continues to expand and perfect delivery, this is going to continue to catapult Starbucks as as one of those trip drivers, even more so than mm -hmm. it already is. So you like, so you basically, net net, you like the move from from Starbucks, particularly in terms of how they're increasing their distribution across exactly. pickup uh, capabilities with big retailers like Target. Exactly. Through this partnership with DoorDash, you think it creates new moments as a parent with the cake pop, which I'm gonna tr I'm gonna definitely do that. I think try this out. Yeah, Jonathan, are we, are you gonna are you gonna continue the streak of all of us agreeing with each other? <laughs> or are we gonna get some debate in this show here soon? I don't know if I'm going to agree or disagree. I'm just going to make a different point. I'm going to ignore your question, Chris. Um, okay, that's fine. <laughs> I would expect that from you. Um, no, I tell you what I thought when I read this was I thought 100 years from now, retail archaeologists go digging through artifacts, right? And they'll find this. They'll find this new story. And I think they will say that is the moment that work from home replaced the third space. Oh, wow. Hmm. Five years ago, remember, deep, actually. We, yeah. we weren't going to go into offices, but we were going to be going into a third space. We were all going to be doing our work in Starbucks stores. Do you remember that? Yeah, yes. I do. Yep. And then For this sure. little this little thing called COVID happened. And then I think this is kind of the archetype of work from home is crystallized. Starbucks now has to come to you. It has mm -hmm. to grow its network to come to you. Yeah. yeah. I think it's a marker.
Yeah. Wow, that's really interesting. God, you got me thinking about like hotels. Like everyone in hotels is gonna have a dash pass now because like you're just and they're gonna be just delivering coffee in mass from Starbucks every morning at all these hotels. You know, for me, I I liked it. And the reason I posed the question the way I did yeah. was the value of the dash pass seems to be getting more compelling every week we do this show. Yeah. Like last week we had the returns thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's of course the delivery component that's ongoing. But it's also and that's also why I wore this hat today, Ann. Oh, which God. we haven't talked about yet, but I wore my buy with Prime hat. I can see that because I think also what's fine. What what it got me thinking about last night. And I'm curious how you guys think about this too. Is like what's the value of my Prime membership anymore when I get right down to it? Like two day delivery for me, it's not that compelling anymore. So like the move to buy with Prime could be. And so I was kind of thinking like as cool as we made buy with Prime sound last week, it's almost like a necessity now for Amazon to make that work right. to keep driving the value here because. For the first time in my life, I was actually questioning, why do I have this? And I don't know if you guys feel the same way. And, I, and Michael, I saw you shaking your head. What, 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 are you, what are you thinking there to that comment? Yeah, well, I thought you were taking it to a different place. I think this will be the first time we can debate today. I, I actually think the value of the Prime membership is exceptionally undervalued. The convenience that it has mm-hmm. placed on my life and the premium that I am uh, willing to pay for that is extraordinarily more than what I'm paying for my prime membership. Right. I've gotten to a place and I'm, I'm in the retail business. I'm technically a retailer. So right. I understand the numbers and it, it's like, it, it's not a good, it, it's terrific for the consumer. Let's put it that way. And mm-hmm. I don't have to go to a mall. I can get whatever I want. In mm-hmm. certain cases, I can order a stack of legal pads and it shows up at my house the same day. I mean, that is fantastic, Mm -hmm. not profitable for Amazon. So what that looks like down the road is is sort of a different story. But I think the prime membership is is actually wildly undervalued for the premium Mm -hmm. that it provides me in my life. Interesting. Jonathan. Well, I I was going to say until DoorDash does Thursday night football or. (laughs) Right. But that's a good question. Like, where does it go? Does it go into those realms at some point? I don't know. You know, I mean, I I do think we underestimate the content value of Amazon Prime. And I don't think you'll yes. miss mm-hmm. you won't That's miss what keeps it until me it's gone. Yeah. Right. And it's not just in the US. I mean, I said Premier League for a reason, right? Which is they now have a whole tranche of the English Premier League. They have a bunch of rugby, which is my sport. So, you know, I'm not as exciting as uh, as Michael ordering legal pads on a Thursday. <laughs> but, uh, but but I do like my football and my rugby. I think you're right. The media part is a key. You bring up a great point, though. I mean, the content access through Amazon Prime is absolutely ridiculous. So what is that worth? I mean, think about what you used to pay. And I'm going to date myself. But when you used to go and and rent a VHS from Blockbuster. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, think about the amount of times that you're procuring content through Amazon Prime and what you're paying for it. And it's it's pretty remarkable. But the interesting thing is we're not saying delivery is what is captivating us necessarily potentially and and I, you know so i think that's interesting but in the interest of time let's keep rolling in yeah we're going to keep talking about amazon here because headline number three is that rent the runway has opened an online storefront on amazon so according to retail dive amazon customers can purchase items from rent the runways designer exclusive as well as secondhand garments retired from its rental service the move comes after rent the runway laid off about a quarter of its workforce in september and announced a new focus on profitability, which is 
I'm sorry. I have to stop. You have to pause here for a second, don't you? We were reading this story yesterday <laughs> in the airport, Chris. We were prepping for the show, and I was like, I'm sorry. Wait, now the new the focus, new focus after you've been a company right. around for how many years? Right. Like, 2023, let's be profitable. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, okay, Michael, I'm going to go into a major <laughs> diatribe if I don't go to you next. So, Michael, what nope. are your thoughts here? That's it's your wheelhouse, right. too, You're, Michael. I, I might go into the same diatribe, so come okay. in if I go too deep. I, this, this answer is so complex. It's incredible. I mean, look, real, real rent the runway, uh, even Stitch Fix. They mm-hmm. came onto the scene and they were basically the the brightest stars uh, that the retail business has seen in years. Yeah. And I'm saying that with quotations around that. That was the perception in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. However, their performance has been an absolute disaster when you yep. look at it. You look at the stock price of Real Real. I mean, that's the perfect one. And I know we're talking about rent the runway and Amazon, but you know, it's it was an interesting concept, renting product mm-hmm. or reselling product. Mm-hmm. Interesting from an ESG benefit standpoint. However, it's it's really not been successful, and no one can really figure out from an operating standpoint how to run it. And if you look behind the curtain. And you start understanding the technology complexities, the skew complexity, and the operational complexities that exist, it becomes sort of this question mark of, can anybody ever really be successful with it? Mm -hmm. Now, what's been happening, I think Amazon dipping its toe or actually jumping into this market is fascinating. Mm -hmm. Um, When they did the partnership with what goes around comes around. I thought that was a monumental marker, as Jonathan was mentioning before. I also think this is interesting because Amazon basically now sees it as an opportunity to capture front end business that they cannot do on their own, especially with what goes around, comes around. Mm -hmm. However, they are an absolute gorilla in the marketplace operationally behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden now, do these partnerships with the front end being rent the runway and what goes around comes around. And I'm sure they're going to do more plugged into the Amazon machine, start to turn it into a, a, a profitable entity. It might, but at the same time, it might not. As we were talking about before with Amazon, clearly they're not super focused on profit. So it's going to be very interesting to see how this all plays out. But in a very long-winded way, I love the move by Amazon. I think rent the runway and what goes around comes around should actually be worried about the partnership in the future of their own longevities. Hmm. Ah, interesting. Chris, what are your thoughts here? Oh, wow. Going to me next. Um, well, I, I mean, Michael kind of summed it up pretty well there. I mean, for me, I, I, I don't really get the move on Run the Runway's part, honestly. I, I, I wonder if they're going to piss off the brands they're working with, if you're going to start selling them on Amazon's, like, hunt, seek, and destroy search, you know, online experience too. Like no no brand that they work with that's high-end is going to want to be on that experience. Right. So I question the value of it. So ultimately to me, going back to your point about the new focus on profitability, it honestly seems super desperate. Mm-hmm. I think we might have had Jonathan on the show too. I can't remember if we or somebody from AM we were talking about Gap going on. I think right. this is totally different and I that's why I don't like it. Yeah. Jonathan, what are your thoughts here? You're, you're nodding along. Well, I thought... Um, I think this is a bit of a sort of mini trend, isn't it? Which is retail innovation, which sort of bursts bright, but then struggles for distribution or struggles mm-hmm. for acquisition, goes and clings to the Amazon life raft. Mm-hmm. And, and in a way, it's extremely smart of Amazon, right? Because mm-hmm. 
you, they basically bolster out the Amazon offering, picking yeah. on segment after segment after segment. And to our earlier discussion about the value of Prime, mm-hmm. the value of Prime is, what, apart from Thursday Night Football, the value of Prime is as many of your needs fulfilled in one place. Mm-hmm. And this is just another example of it. But there's a huge asymmetry of power here, right? You've got a struggling innovation mm-hmm. right. you've got, and you've got an acquisition and distribution monster. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think I think what we're hearing here and, and this is this kind of echoes my sentiments about this, too, is that, you know, it makes sense to try to leverage the operational backbone of Amazon to make this business more profitable. You're certainly opening the aperture here of people who can find Rent the Runway product, who can leverage their prime benefits in order to get that product sooner. But my question here, and another part that we haven't discussed in this conversation so far, is that Amazon keeps talking about how they're really trying to get this to get luxury to take off on Amazon. And I still think, I I don't know that this is where Amazon, like this doesn't help Amazon get more people shopping luxury on the platform. I just don't see it. You're just not going to see people, you know, going to Amazon and typing Diane von Furstenberg. Like that's just not going to happen. The only way, and this is a long shot, Chris and I talked about this in depth yesterday, but the only way I can start to see like a luxury consumer really going to Amazon in this capacity might be if they start to bring that secondhand or pre, pre-worn um, apparel, designer and luxury apparel from Rent the Runway into Amazon's fashion stores and, ha- and really having that be a destination instead of the typical consignment shops that, you know, we have no idea what's in there. It's always a treasure hunt when you get in there. But if you could, you know, know with certainty, there are six different gowns in my size at my local Amazon fashion, and I can go there and execute and try something on and then walk away with something instead of, you know, ordering two things from Rent the Runway. There's a possibility there, but the amount of of struggle and work to actually make that happen here is, I think, a, a long haul for Amazon. So I don't know that we'll actually see that happening. Right. I mean, I think there could be a there there, but it gets back to the point of Michael. Michael said too, like, can can you make the current model work? And then yes. if you do that, is does that become even more difficult as as That's, well? Right. Right. Well, and you just made me think of this. If you look at the what goes around comes around partnership, right? There, and you think it made me think of the House of Gucci, the movie. Yeah. When Al Pacino's character, there was a dirty little secret that most of the Gucci business in the U.S. was was counterfeit, but they knew it and they were happy with it. So the question I ask is, is this a way for the luxury brands to basically start to grow their businesses with a dirty little secret kind of under the covers of doing the business? Now, there's a third party in between, but it's still more revenue. So it'll be very interesting, too, to see if they eventually get over the Amazon hump and plug into it Ooh, could be, may not be, but we'll see. That's a good little twist. I like that, Michael. Chris, let's go on to headline number four. All right, Anne, I'd love to, but before we get to headline number four, fresh off NRF in New York City, I want to tell you about another trade show we are both planning to attend, you loyal Omnitalk fans, and that is Home Delivery World. Home Delivery World is the largest free supply chain and retail logistics conference and expo, and it is this June 14th and 15th in Philadelphia. It's free to attend. It will have over 350 exhibitors, all showcasing cutting-edge retail logistics solutions to well over 7,000 attendees. Man, that show is growing. 
Just head to terrapin.com slash home delivery world to register now. That's terrapin, T-E-R-R-A-P-I-N-N.com slash home delivery world to register. All right, headline number four. According to Winsight Grocery Business, Wakefern Food Corp held a ribbon cutting ceremony on Monday for its latest shop called The Pantry, a frictionless convenience store for the workers at its Edison, New Jersey campus featuring Trigo's AI-based technology. Open to only workers from Wakefern office buildings, the pantry uses computer vision with a series of cameras and shelf centers to identify products such as snacks, salads, pantry staples, groceries, and prepared foods. I always love the pantry staple. <laughs> Wakefern is the first U.S. company to test Trigo's technology, which is already deployed in several locations around Europe and the U.K. Jonathan, given that you are very close to some of Trigo's first installations in Europe, being that you are in London, what is the significance of this announcement in your mind? Well, Chris, it's even better than that. I'm uh, from London and I'm sitting in New Jersey. So, I mean, I've got it all covered, right? Wakefern oh, just yeah. down the road. That's right. I forgot about that. Yes. Yeah, come on. I'm very disappointed they didn't invite me to the ribbon cutting, given I'm a local. But anyhow. And you have and right. something, I forgot you're in Jersey. Something tells me, Jonathan, you have your own giant scissors stored somewhere away yeah. up in your office. I do exactly. And my royal wave for every B- ribbon. B-Y-O-S. Right. Yes. Yeah. Jonathan yeah. will be there. So um, what do I make of this? Well, first of all, I, I think the interesting, the particularly interesting thing about this is it, it, it's a kind of a demonstration of how you sell technology in a franchise model, right? Because this is mm. about Trigo and kind of Wakefern Center uh, trying to create a pull amongst their uh, franchisees for why they would want to invest and deploy the technology. It's not quite as simple as you know, picking a store, running a trial, and then expanding it across an estate if you don't own that estate. So, I mean, that was the primary thing that that struck me was it's this sort of two-step approach hmm. to deployment, which then does raise a question mm-hmm. me about how quick is it therefore going to be? Mm-hmm. Right? Because, you know, franchisees, uh, particularly sort of family structure franchisees, they have a different view of kind of lifetime value. They have a different view of kind of payoff periods. It, there will be a sort of very varied appeal uh, amongst that group. Um, that said, the thing that I did chuckle at was uh, I noticed that Wakefern is immediately on Trigo's uh, landing page on their website. <laughs> um, right. So, you know, it's Tesco, Raver, Netto, and uh, and now Wakefern. So, um they're either very confident about a bunch of franchisees already signed up or they're very confident about how compelling the demo store is going to be. Um, but I, the thing I'll be watching will be speed. It's just very difficult in that franchise environment. Mm. Right. That's a great point. Yeah, that's the new wrinkle here is that, you know, and I mean, first of all, they actually got that type of setup to commit to this, too, which is interesting in and of itself. And what do you think? I think this is a big the big story here, even though, you know, this is just an employee owned store right now or or employee only store is that Trigo is now here on U.S. soil. Like Jonathan said, the Wakefern logo is on the website. And I think that plays into, for me, what Dave Ritter from A&M on our end of the year show last year said that, you know, there may be another non-Amazon provider that's doing a full-scale Just Walk Out grocery store in 2023. And from what we've seen so far at what Trigo's done in the Europe and some of the, especially under like very complex regulatory settings, like in Germany, 
me, for example, they have the capacity to pull this off, to Mm -hmm. be that first full-size grocery store in the U.S. with Wakeford here. Yeah, I mean, I know, yeah, I know Dave Earth thinks, I think he said on the annual show, he thinks it's going to be a good bango. Trigo's, you know, trying to line up the resources to do it as well, as it appears from this story. Michael, what do you think here? Do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I love it. I think it's, um, I think it's the future. So a frictionless environment in grocery store turning into frictionless environment in retail. We're headed there. Whoever can get there first and figure it out and then expand it and then have the others follow, I think is is going to be wildly successful. But it, I love the idea. I think it's truly future of uh, of the retail business or a part, major part of the retail business. Yeah, absolutely. I don't have much to add here beyond what, what the three of you have said. I mean, the only other point I'd bring up too is U.S. retailers are creatures of habit. We talk mm-hmm. about this on the show all the time. So I'm not surprised to see the first U.S. Re- like the one of the one of the first U.S. grocers take the same approach that they basically deployed with Trigo and Tesco in sure. Europe. They went to the company store first, then shortly thereafter they rolled it out to an actual like operating grocery store in market or something like that. And I have no idea if that's the case, but you know, to Jonathan's point about them promoting on the website, you have to wonder if that's in play here or if it won't. And Trigo's track record's pretty good too. Like right. r- relatively speaking amongst these providers, they're one of the few that I can point to who has consistently continued to roll out with the people they're doing business with. Mm-hmm. They've rolled out more with Revo. They've rolled out more with Tesco. They've announced more plans to roll out with Aldi already. Like that's something to watch. So I think the fact to your point that this is the first one in the US for the arguably the best provider in Europe right now, is something to watch. All right, let's go on to headline number five. So Portillo's is making its drive throughs cashless, Chris. Ooh, cashless. You got to bring your card when you're getting your dog, okay? <laughs> okay, yes, of course. According to Restaurant Always Drive- Always do, man. Always okay. do. <laughs> According to Restaurant Drive, the chain, which has over 70 units across nine states, stopped accepting cash payments at its drive throughs beginning Monday, January 16th. The shift is intended to improve safety- of the staff, according to Portillo's CEO, Michael Osenlu. I guess, yeah. I hope I said your name Ossinlu. right, Michael, um, uh, which was quoted. He was quoted in Restaurant Dive. Um, he said, quote, workers across the restaurant industry have been robbed or threatened at gunpoint or knife point on the job, end quote. Yeah. Yowzer. Uh, the ca- setup does sound kind of dangerous when you get yes, down to it. Yes, yeah. Cash will, however, still be accepted within the walls of the restaurant itself. Uh, Jonathan, let's go to you first here. What's your take on this story? Poor drive through people getting robbed at knife and gunpoint. That sounds awful. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of something no one should go to work for. Right. And, uh, you know, if you run a team in retail or in hospitality, uh, and you think that's a risk, you do everything you can to uh, to mitigate it. So I, I get, I absolutely get that motivation. And to Chris's point, their model is n- not all of their team are sort of within the booth or behind the screen, right? They've mm-hmm. got people at the menu board able to direct you and, of course, trade you up as well. So they are particularly uh, vulnerable. Uh, th- that said, I'm, I also... I'm pretty sure that the the real lead here is is actually buried a little bit further in the story around mm. what it does to uh, speed of transactions, right? Uh, and kind of clearly what that does to the economics of drive through, right? Mm-hmm. Not to mention the savings you get from cash handling costs mm-hmm. and all those sorts of things. And so, to to that extent, if we if we sort of put to one side the, the safety issue, which is very real, and I'm sure was the trigger for this. If we put that to one side, this is just another example 
of the move to cashless, right? Yeah, um, yeah. It, I mean, it's a bit consistent with the conversation we just had uh, around uh, walkouts, digital walkout stores, right? right. Mm-hmm. It's all of these points of friction are being uh, removed by uh, technology enablement mm-hmm. and uh, what that's doing to uh, costs for these retailers is potentially very significant. I, I do think, by the way, there's a major social question around employment mm-hmm. in retail. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't ignore how significant an employer the retail and hospitality sector is in the US. I mean, that's for another day. That's another question. Mm-hmm. Um, businesses have to maximize their profit. I completely understand that. Um, and this is, I think, one of the major sort of trends uh, that we're seeing. And here it is playing out again. Yeah. yeah, Chris, what are you what are you seeing here? Like, are you are your thoughts consistent with what Jonathan's saying? Yeah, I think they are. And I, I it's funny. I was thinking about that same angle Jonathan was talking about this morning as I was thinking about this, too, because there's going to be a negative sales impact from not taking cash to your drive through. Mm-hmm. And so it's got to be a big pill to swallow unless there's other operational efficiencies that you're thinking you're going to gain right. from this. My question is really like. Where does this go next? I think we're going to see more of it. A lot of the quick serve restaurants have gone to this model, especially in the pandemic as curbside pickup and everything else has become just that much more prevalent. Like Chick-fil-A has like, I feel like 600 people outside in its drive-through lanes, right? As an example. But the question for me is like, do governments continue to allow it? Like, does it push into the store? Did the store itself only become cashless? And do the governments locally allow this to happen? We know in New York that you were required to still take cash, which is going to be an important part of the rollout story potentially with, you know, the Wakefern, depending on where they start to deploy those stores and everything. So that's my thing. I mean, I think we'll see more of this, but there's a lot of things that we have as as a society have to come to grips with for us to do this in the right way. Michael, any thoughts here from your side? No, I mean, I agree with everything uh, Jonathan and Chris just said. I think uh, just from a safety standpoint, we, Mm -hmm. we obviously talk to senior leaders in the retail business. They're all hyper focused on employee safety to a point where two CEOs recently separately had told me, we tell the employees to give them what they ask for and mm-hmm. basically give them the keys to the register. Right. So wow. I think this is a great move to protect employees. But to Jonathan's point, you have a lot of operational benefits. And then from a futures focus standpoint, it's heading towards cashless. So right. it's definitely a first mover. I I have a question, you guys. Okay, yeah. one, I have a problem with there still being cash accepted inside if safety, like Jonathan's saying, is right. really the concern. Because aren't you still putting the associates then that are working inside the store in danger? Because now they're that's where all the cash is going. It's not separated by drive-through window and like checkout lane. It's a little bit of a conflict too, because right. yep. if you're accepting inside. You avoid, you don't avoid the operational efficiency of not having a cash drop. Exactly. That right. Exactly. Well, and, and then it my- feels like it feels like it's a first step. It's like the sure. first line of defense is let's do it outside. Let's see how that goes. See if the that impact. Does not have a negative impact on our business. Let's then do it inside. And that sounds like also they're dancing around the governmental issues that Chris is bringing up too, like kind of testing the waters. Right. Right. That's a great right. point. And and lastly, like. Again, I'm going back to how many, where do we best serve the human workforce in quick service restaurants? The cash thing for me too is like, 
is it not possible to still take cash through some kind of cash, you know, in like machine? Like, can't you just put cash in, dispense the change? Like, I feel like there's technology that should be able to support this so that you can still take cash. You can take cards, but you're you're removing the the safety or you're considering the safety of the people working in that restaurant so that they don't have to handle the money or be the the in-between there in those situations. It just it doesn't make sense to me yeah it's a good question i don't know there's a lot of operational hang-ups that come with any of that stuff too you right. know like having to put cash into i mean how many times have we put the cash in the dispenser and it comes back like bill cannot be read you know like we've all been through that nightmare and imagine that in a drive-through too that that scenario would it's be true. unmanageable if true. you stop and think about it so as as easy as it sounds i think i think the point that we come back to it feels like to me like i agree with you guys like it's it's First step, we'll see where it goes next. Right. All right. right. Let's, let's go to the lightning let's round. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Uh, question one goes to you, Jonathan. Target and Lego are kicking off a partnership to allow consumers to send in their used Legos so that another child may enjoy them. Uh, Jonathan, I want to know, if you had to guess, what do you think the most surprising thing that it will be that Lego might find in some of these returned Lego packages? Uh, well, I don't know if the first one's a surprise on the basis of my experience with my kids. There's bound to be a whole bunch of kind of Skittles and candies. <laughs> Skittles, <laughs> right. Right. Um, I mean, and the, the red ones in particular, you're going to think, what do I build with this? You're going to think, part, 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 <laughs> right? I guess the other thing that would be ironic would be if you, if you found someone's stub toe in there because, you know, <laughs> they, you, you know, did their toe actually come off and stick to the Lego? A toenail? Yeah. Oh God. Oh, oh my God. Man. That's Terrible. so that's so, so disgusting. True. So yeah. true. But nice to know the red Skittles are the ones that are the most easily hidden within the Lego bin. Sure. All right, Michael, let's keep going. Pizza Hut is bringing back the big New Yorker for a limited time only beginning February 1st. My question for you is, are you okay with this or do you think this move should be more permanent? I love it. I, I think it's mm. a branded iconic item that's, that's part of Pizza Hut's heritage and kind of immediately um, inspires you to to go out and get one. I think the interesting thing is, is that do they use this as a uh, pulsing in to create uh, excitement for their customer base? Or should they be turning it into a long-term core item that they bring back into the stable? Not sure. really sure. I think the, the results will uh, will kind of point them in that certain direction. Well, I'm going to be ordering. One I'm for excited the Super actually Bowl. about it. Yeah, let's for sure. do it. All right, Michael, we're going back to you for question number three. Volumental, a fit technology, just announced their partnership with Under Armour, where customers inside Under Armour stores will be able to step on a volumental plate, scan their feet, and be served up the specific products that will best fit their feet. What is one category you hate shopping for that you think a 3D scan could help with? Yeah, this one's kind of a, a layup. I mean, shoes. Right. Whether it's uh, dress <laughs> shoes or sneakers. Right. So they're on the right track. Yeah. <laughs> they're on the right track. I love this one, too. I mean, look, it's so volatile, the fit standards across brands. Um, yeah. Sometimes you're a 10, sometimes you're a 10 and a half, sometimes you're a nine and a half. And then also the actual structure and uh, fundamental uh, underlying construction of the um of the soles is different, right. so different across brands. So whether you have a high arch or a low arch, it, it makes it very difficult to shop for shoes effectively. So I think obviously footwear is a, a great place to start. Absolutely. So Michael's all in on shoes. All right, Jonathan, we're gonna get you out of here on this. This is one of my favorite all-time questions. Actor John Larroquette, famous for Night Court, admitted he was paid in weed for his role in the 1974 horror classic, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. 
Jonathan, my question for you is, what is the strangest thing you have ever accepted in exchange for any of your services? Any of my services? Right? Yes. Um, uh, well, it's not narcotics, so okay. um, Yet. No. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, yes, who knows who's listening? Maybe when you retire, Jonathan, yeah. Um, so I guess I do have one, which is a long time ago in my uh, a long time ago in my career, uh, to do someone a, a favor, a kind of a pro bono or low bono kind of piece of work. My payment was uh, tickets to a soccer World Cup match uh, in France. It was England versus Argentina. I think it was round of sixteen. Uh, for those of you old enough and into soccer enough to remember it, it was an amazing match. Michael Owen scored a wonder goal. Beckham yeah. got sent off uh, through some very devious Argentinian tactics, actually. And uh, it, it's, a, it's a very famous World Cup match. So actually, I came out pretty well. Yeah. What year was that? Nin was it 98, 98 or? 98, yeah. 98, nice, nice, very nice. That oh. sounds awesome, man. Well, smart trade, man. I think you yes. got the better end of that deal, yes. too. <laughs> that one worked out well. <laughs> All right, well, thanks you both for joining us today. Uh, Michael, Jonathan, if people want to get in touch with you, learn more about AM, get their potentially enlist your help on solving some of the complex questions we discussed today, what's the best way for them to do that? Michael? Email. You can email me at mprendergast at alvarezmarsal.com or uh, you can go to our website, which is www.alvarezmarsal crg.com. And you can uh, find either Jonathan or myself or any, any of the other senior leaders there and lots of information about us too. All right. All right. Well, that wraps us up. Happy birthday today to Dolly Parton. Can we it's Dolly Parton's She's birthday? She's 77. Is she really? That? No, I didn't know that actually. That's pretty amazing. Katie Seagal. Yeah. From Married with Children. And to the woman who helped to put the Sopranos next on my binge watch list, Andrea DeMatteo. Mm. Fun name to say. Mm -hmm. And remember, if you can only read or listen to one retail blog in the business, make it OmniTalk. Our Fast Five podcast is the quickest, fastest rundown of all the week's top news. And our twice-weekly newsletter tells you the top five things you need to know each day and also comes with a special content that, that is exclusive to us, and we do it all just for you. And we try really hard to make it all fit within the preview pane of your inbox. You can sign up today at www.omnitalk.blog. Thanks, as always, for listening in. Please remember to like and leave us a review wherever you happen to listen to your podcast or on YouTube. And on behalf of the AM Consumer and Retail Group and all of us here at OmniTalk, as always, be careful out there. The OmniTalk Fast Five is brought to you in association with the A&M Consumer and Retail Group. The A&M Consumer and Retail Group is a management consulting firm that tackles the most complex challenges and advances its clients, people, and communities toward their maximum potential. CRG brings the experience, tools, and operator-like pragmatism to help retailers and consumer products companies be on the right side of disruption. And Firework. Firework is the largest video commerce solution built for the world's leading brands. They empower brands with shoppable and live stream video on their own websites where people like to shop. Put your commerce in motion with Firework. You can find out more at firework.com. And Trigo. Trigo technology powers grocery stores with market-leading frictionless checkout and digitized operations. To learn more, visit trigoretail.com. And Sezzle. Sezzle is an innovative buy now, pay later solution that allows shoppers to split purchases into four industry payments over six weeks. To learn more, visit sezzle.com. Finally, Silk. The Silk Cloud DB virtualization platform is a virtualization layer between your workloads and the cloud. Helps you scale your cloud without scaling your costs. Visit silk.us to learn more.